This is Zero Two Hero Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. This is your host, Gubis Vissa speaking. This is where we take individuals, teams, and executives from zero to hero to raise their game and performance through mental strength. This is where you will learn how to raise your standard in your body, mind, and spirit, and in your business, and also how to raise your game to be in the top 1% excellence in your field. And we will be doing this by interviewing experts in their field to give you the tools and tips to apply in your own life to reach this excellence in your field. Thank you for tuning in and yeah, let's start the podcast. Okay. All right, perfect. Yeah, so basically everybody, um, our company Climbing Kilimanjaro, we were established in 1994. Since then, we've sent more than 15,000 people to the summit of Kilimanjaro. And this year, we're adding a new department as well to arrange mountain bike trips up Kilimanjaro. I actually did it myself end of January. Um, awesome experience, just something different. Um, because yeah, on, on, on average, about 30,000, 40,000 people go up Kilimanjaro every year. So yeah, some, some people are looking for something different as well. Um, now, first of all, the guys that we use are very experienced. They employed by our company on a permanent basis. Um, so we don't use freelance guides and all of them have a minimum experience of guiding people up Kilimanjaro for 10 years at least. The guides also carry emergency oxygen. So in case of emergency, um, if somebody is not feeling well and they're suffering from severe altitude sickness, they can administer oxygen and then uh, evacuate the person off the mountain safely. Obviously, the thing with oxygen we have to remember is that if you arrive to Barafu camp, for example, and you're not feeling well, um, using oxygen then and then deciding to continue with the attempt is not possible because once you uh, administer oxygen to a person, all the acclimatization up until that point is brought back to zero again and you have to start from scratch again. So the moment you start using oxygen, you have to continuously use it until you reach the summit and then descend. And yeah, because 99.9% of the people that go up Kilimanjaro don't use oxygen, that will, that will not be possible. Then our guides also carry pulse oximeters, small device that clips onto your finger, shines a red light through your finger and measures your blood oxygen levels. Now, when you hike up Kilimanjaro, the oxygen levels get lower and lower as you, the higher you go. Eventually, when you reach the summit, the oxygen levels are about 9.5%. When we hike up Kilimanjaro, your body goes through a process called acclimatization whereby it adjusts to the higher altitudes and the lower oxygen levels. It produces more red blood cells, increase your body's ability to absorb oxygen. Now, if you ascend faster than your body's ability to adjust to these higher altitudes, then you suffer from altitude sickness. And the two biggest risks with regards to altitude sickness is hate and haste. Now, the first one, hate, that is accumulation of fluid on the lungs, and that can happen as low as 2,500 meters. I mean, you can literally go to the Drakensberg, and that can happen to you. And to combat this, this is why our guides carry the pulse oximeters. Um, they take your blood oxygen levels every morning, every evening from the first day onwards. So if on day three you start coughing and you're not feeling well, and we see that your blood oxygen levels are decreasing, then we can take you know, we can take immediate action and get you off the mountain. The thing with altitude sickness is, I would say about 70% of all the people that hike up Kilimanjaro will get some form of altitude sickness, but the most people will, will either get a headache or they might feel nauseous. Some people might even vomit. And this is quite normal and not something to worry about um, because that's just your body's way to, to adjust to these higher altitudes. Um, the second one, 
which we call haste, that is um, swelling of the brain. Now, the, that one is not very common on Kilimanjaro because it only occurs when you hike above 4,600 meters. And our last night before we do the summit attempt, we spent that 4,600 meters. Then we go up to the summit and we come back down again. So we're not really exposed to those high altitudes long enough for that to happen. However, nobody can determine in advance who's going to get altitude sickness and who's not going to get it. So it affects every person differently, even the same person differently. I mean, I can hike Kilimanjaro this year and I'll be fine. Next year I do exactly the same thing and I can suffer from severe altitude sickness. Um, so, yeah, but the biggest cause is basically going up too high too fast. And, yeah, so we try and hike as slowly as possible. On average, you're doing less than 10 kilometers a day. If you do 10 kilometers now, it'll take you three to four hours to complete. On the mountain, we start eight o'clock in the morning. We arrive to the lunch camp. We have lunch for an hour and a half, and then we continue to the next camp. So we, and we arrive to the final camp for overnight around four, five o'clock in the afternoon. So we hike at a very slow pace to maximize the time our bodies have to adjust to the higher altitude. Now, to, the, obviously to avoid altitude sickness, we have to hike as slowly as possible. And then the second thing you can do is, is to take Diamox. Now Diamox is the only proven medication that you can take to prevent altitude sickness. There's some stuff on the internet. You can take ginger tea and this route and that route. However, none of them have been scientifically proven to avoid altitude sickness. Um, but what Diamox is, it's basically a, a medication to treat the eye condition called glaucoma. But what it does is it makes your blood more acidic, which increases your body's ability to absorb oxygen. And it uh, and it's also a diuretic, um, sort of, speeds up your metabolism a little bit as well and that um, helps to to avoid altitude sickness if you plan on taking Dimox, it's something that you'll need to take from the first or the second day on the mountain and you have to take the tablet every morning every evening until you reach this until just before the summit attempt and then once you reach the summit attempt you can stop taking it now as i've just said Dimox is a diuretic so you have to increase your body's um, water intake to avoid dehydration and it can make it, it can cause a few problems as well. Um, so what we normally recommend is get Dimox from your doctor in advance. It's a prescription drug. Um, get it from your doctor two or three months in advance. Take it for three days. See how your body reacts to it. Some people feel nausea. Some people vomit. Some people get headache from it. It can make your fingers and toes. Uh, you know, it can make your fingers tingle. Some people feel off color like. They've got flu-like symptoms when they take it. So there are a few negative symptoms or negative effects for Dimox. But, I mean, you can take Panario and if you read, read the, the, the instructions, there's a lot of negative symptoms for Panario as well, for example. So that's why I say if you plan on taking Dimox, then take it two months before the trip, see how your body reacts to it, and then um, you can make an informed decision whether it's okay for you to take it or rather to go without it. You guys are doing the seven-day Mashama route, which is our most successful route for, for hiking up Kilimanjaro. The summit success rate on that route is about 98%. And the, the main reason for that is that um, you're doing less than 10 kilometers a day, so you're not hiking very long distances. Um, obviously, the high altitudes and the steepness makes it difficult because, for example, on day one, you start from 1,800 meters at Mashamu Camp. You hike 10 kilometers until you reach Mashamu Camp, which is at 3,000 meters. 
and you gain about 1,200 meters over that 10, 10 kilometers. So it's quite steep. Um, but, and then obviously the higher you go, the lower the oxygen levels become, and that makes the, the hiking tougher. Coming back to the Dymox, I know sometimes it's a problem getting Dymox in South Africa. So if you're unable to get Dymox, the guides will have Dymox with them as well. However, as I've just said, it is a prescription drug. So if you can't get Dymox, still discuss it with your doctor. Because if you're going to take it from the guides, then you're going to take it at own risk. They are not doctors. They don't know what you're allergic to or so. They don't know your medical history. So if you take it from them, you're more than welcome to, but you're taking it at your own risk. So you need to make sure with your doctor that you can take it. Then um, something with regards to the Dymox. At the hotel, there, there is malaria in Tanzania, and you will be exposed to malaria at the, at the hotel. However, Arusha is, is at a relatively high altitude, so there's not a lot of mosquitoes. But as I always say, you just need one mosquito with malaria to bite you to get it. And some malaria medication can't be taken together with the Diamox. So if you go to your doctor to discuss Diamox, also discuss what malaria medication you can take. Now, I've done Kilimanjaro three times myself, and it's, it's, it's up to every person what they want to do, but on the mountain, you are not exposed to malaria. So what some people do is they make sure they take a lot of tabard or um, peaceful sleep, and they spray themselves. They wear long-sleeved um, tops and bottoms and prevent getting bitten from a mosquito because you're just exposed for that night before the hike and then obviously once you get off the, off the mountain. Now for the people staying a few days after the hike, I would, it would probably be a better option to get, uh, to get the malaria medication to be on the safe side. But like I say, some people don't, don't take malaria medication, just make sure they, get, they don't get bitten. Um, but yeah, obviously if you get home and you start getting flu-like symptoms and your stomach goes, then go to a doctor and tell them you have been to a malaria-infected area and you didn't take any precaution so that they can test for that first. Because the thing with malaria, if you pick it up early, then you normally don't get that sick. But if you pick it up a week or two weeks later, then you can get seriously sick. Okay. Then the next thing um, is training. On average, a person leading a reasonably fit lifestyle will, will require about one to two months to prepare for, for Kilimanjaro. You guys are going to do the hike in July and you know we are entering the flu and cold season for South Africa. So I would say don't wait until two months or one month before the trip to start training. Rather start three months. So if you get flu or if you get blisters in, on your feet or whatever, then at least you have a month in between to you know, as a, as a leeway to, to not, not, not to be pressured into having to, to do this in one month while you're sick as well. Um, on average, I always say if you can do 12 kilometers every day with your hiking boots and a day pack on your back, which has about seven or eight kilos inside, and you can do 12 kilometers actual hiking on uneven terrain for three days in a row, um, and you don't feel too stiff afterwards, then you're basically ready to do Kilimanjaro. Um, for me personally, the best exercise is to hike with my hiking boots and my day pack on my back. Um, I try to hike in the suburb where I live. If I walk in the street, I'll walk next to the street on the uneven terrain, and I'll try and include as much uphills and downhills as I possibly can. Obviously, sometimes it's impossible to go and walk outside, and you can do it on a treadmill as well. But 
it's important not to only exercise on a treadmill because doing 10 kilometers on a treadmill, doing 10 kilometers of actual hiking is two different things. And if you do it on a treadmill, make sure you do it as steep as possible. And the biggest downfall with the, with the treadmill is that it doesn't strengthen your ankles because you, you're walking on a, on a, on a flat, flat surface all the time. And that's not the case on Kilimanjaro. There's a lot of rocks and there's a lot of uneven terrain. So it's important that you strengthen your ankles as well. Now, for those of you that haven't done it yet, it's important to do it as soon as possible is to buy hiking boots because um, you need to buy a pair of hiking boots that's waterproof, give you good ankle support, give you good traction, and something that's gonna, that's breathable, taking moisture away from your feet, and then importantly, something that's gonna be able to keep your feet warm. During the actual summit attempt, the temperatures can drop as low as minus 15 degrees Celsius. The average temperature on the summit attempt is about minus 12 degrees Celsius. And I've even had people experience minus 25 degrees during blizzards on the summit. It's also possible to walk through snow. So for that reason, your hiking boots is probably one of the most important items on this trip. And it's important to buy it as soon as possible so you can start walking them in. Um, it's not uncommon to buy a pair of hiking boots and then get blisters. Um, but obviously if that happens, leave the hiking boots for a week until the blisters has healed and then walk with them again. Some, depending on the boot you buy, you can get blisters as much as three times, you know, get blisters, walk a week, get blisters again. And then, but normally most people will get blisters once and then the second time they start wearing them, then the, then the boot will be fine. Um, some of you might even be lucky and you don't get blisters at all. Um, I've done it three times in, in, in high-tech boots and for my feet they were very good, but you know, obviously everybody's got different feet and different requirements. Then um, with regards to gear, um, obviously this, there's, a, there's a big, big fluctuations can be on the gear because you can buy a pair of high-tech hiking boots for 1,500 rands, or you can buy a pair of metal hiking boots for 3,500 rands. So yeah, your gear can cost anything. And, and then also if you've been to Europe before and you've got some warm winter jackets and you have rain gear from previous hiking trips, then obviously the more you have, the less you need to spend. Um, so I can't really give an amount that you need to spend on gear, but on average, most people, if you have some of the bits and you only need some of the bits and you're able and you're willing to rent some of it, then you should budget for about 10,000. But like I say, um, this can go up to 20,000 or even 30,000, depending on the brand you want to buy and what you want to buy. What I would recommend is print out that the recommended gear list, go to a Cape Union Mart, go to an outdoor warehouse, go to a Trappers and shop around, tell them you're going to do Kilimanjaro. Most of them um, are familiar with the gear as well. And um, yeah, discuss with them. And also, you know, if you go to one shop, you can also tell them, look, I'm planning to do Kilimanjaro. I'm willing to buy all my stuff from your shop. Will you be able? Hello, Nikki. Uh -oh. Nikki, are you there? Hopefully, let's quickly just check. <laughs> You expect to pay Nikki, about 4,000 rands. Nikki, you yes. just disappeared for there for a second. Um, just okay. 
the last time we heard you was uh, you get to the, the store, you tell them you're going to climb Kilimanjaro, you will buy all your equipment from them. and Yeah, then if, if you plan on buying your gear from the same shop, you can, you can request them to give you a bit of discount if you buy everything from them. Or if you are two or three together and you go to the same shop, um, then obviously you can try to negotiate some discount with them. We we do have a deal with high tech stores. There's a shop in Pretoria. There's a shop in Joburg that you can get 15% of all normal price merchandise, which is which is quite good. Um, but the only problem with high tech is that they don't have all the gear. Okay, um, then obviously you can rent a lot of the stuff from our sales office in South Africa as well. Um, for example, sleeping bags. If you go and buy a sleeping bag, you can expect to pay about 4,000 rands for it. Um, if you rent it from us, it's going to be 275 from the, for, the, for the total trip. And we make sure that all sleeping bags are washed so they're clean. Um, so yeah, sleeping bags, outer jackets, rain gear, um, hiking poles, gaiters, um, headlamps, duffel bags, all of that is possible to, to rent from our sales office in South Africa. It's also possible to rent some of the stuff from Tanzania, so then you get your gear there. However, their prices are in dollars. For example, we charge 275 for a sleeping bag in South Africa, which is about $20, I guess. In Tanzania, it's $38. So obviously renting in Tanzania is a bit more expensive because it's a lot more difficult for them to get the gear in, in Tanzania. Then with, regu with regards to vaccinations, at the moment there is no compulsory vaccination. Even if your flight goes through Kenya, Nairobi, which is a yellow fever infected country, you will spend less than six hours at the airport. So a, a yellow fever vaccination is not required. Only if you plan on going a week before the time and you visit a yellow fever infected country like Ethiopia or Kenya as example and then enter, Kenya, enter Tanzania, will you be required to have a, a yellow fever vaccination? And then obviously you will be exposed to malaria at the hotel. So that's something like I said, um, it's up to you whether you want to take it or not. Um, I'm just working through the, through the list here quickly that you have as well, um, Quibus. Then, um, yeah, we normally require the balance payment eight weeks before the trip. And with regards to aeroplane tickets, um, we recommend that we finalize that as soon as possible because how the airlines work is the first 20 flights, they sell at a, at a cheap rate. Then the next 20 seats, they sell at the more expensive rate and so on until the flight is fully booked. So it is possible for us to make flight reservations for everybody and then give you a quote. If you're happy with the quote, then you tell me, Nikki, that's fine. And we then recommend that you pay the flight ticket in full as soon as possible. And we issued the ticket because as long as the airplane ticket is not issued, the airfare is subject to change. If the airline changes the airfare, if they add fuel surcharges or if the airport taxes change. Um, obviously, most of the airlines are international. For example, Kenya Airways, they're based in Kenya. So if the rand suddenly weakens against the dollar, then their airfare goes up. However, once a ticket has been paid in full and we've issued the ticket, then the airfare is fixed, irrespective of what happens to the oil price or airport taxes or the exchange rates. 
Um, we strongly recommend that everybody in the group take out travel insurance as well. I know some of you might be with Discovery Medical A. Um, I know that Discovery provides travel insurance for their clients uh, complimentary. So, but if, if you've got such a case, then make sure with, your with the travel insurance company that they will cover you for Kilimanjaro. Because I know, for example, if you take out travel insurance with TIC in South Africa, and you pay the normal policy, you have to pay an additional 350 rands to get cover for Kilimanjaro um, because they see it as an extreme sport. So whichever insurance company you choose, make sure um, that you are indeed covered for, for, for hiking up Kilimanjaro. Um, then with regards to tips for the porters and the guide and the cook, on average with a group size, let's say the final group size is 10 persons, then the total tip from each hiker to the crew for the, for the seven days is going to be in the region of about $270 from each hiker to the, to the crew. Now, with, with a group size of 10 persons, you can expect that there's going to be, 10, uh, there's going to be four guides, there's going to be two cooks, and there's going to be approximately 28 porters. Now, you're not going to hike with the porters because basically what the, what the, what the porters does is they carry the tents, they carry the food, they, every person is allocated one duffel bag with a maximum weight of 15 kilos that they carry from one camp to the next camp. Um, in the duffel bag is your clothes and items that you don't need for the day's hike. And yeah, so, so there's, there's quite a lot of support too because on the mountain there's absolutely no facilities. Now, a typical day on the mountain will work as follows. You'll wake up around 6, 6.30 in the morning. Then the porters will bring you tea, coffee to your tent. Um, after that, you'll pack all your clothes in your duffel bag. You'll make sure you, you pack your day pack. Um, your reindeer will always be in your day pack, your camera, snacks for the day, um, some basic medication like headache tablets, um, blister plasters, and so on. Anything that you might need for the day's hike needs to go in your needs to go in your day pack because the porter that carries your duffel bag from one camp to the next he's not actually going to hike with you the porters and so on they summit kilimanjaro four times a month so their bodies are already acclimatized to the high altitudes so they do the 10 kilometers with the weight on their heads they do it in three four hours while we take the whole day to hike from one camp to the next after you packed your sleeping bag and your clothes into the duffel bag you go to the mesh tent and they'll serve breakfast. Um, breakfast will normally be egg of the day, egg as you like it, scrambled egg or omelette or whatever with some bacon and sausages. They'll also provide some toast. They'll also provide, normally provide some um, uh, oats porridge. They also provide some fresh fruit, um, tea, coffee, hot chocolate. And then during breakfast, the guide will also come and take everybody's um, blood oxygen level readings, um, they'll take your heart rate and discuss, your, you know, if, if anybody's got a problem, then they'll, you know, if you've got a massive headache or whatever, then tell the guide um, and he'll advise further on, on, on what to do. After that, you collect your day pack and you'll start hiking with the guide to the next camp. At the same time, the, the porters will come, they will dismantle the tent, they'll pack everything up and they'll move it to the next camp. Something that I forgot to add now as well is every morning, every evening, 
you'll get a small bowl of hot water to do basic washing. Obviously, there's no showers on Kilimanjaro, so we, you can do a bit of basic washing with the small bowl of hot water. And then we also recommend bringing some wet wipes in addition to that. Um, really works well. And on the mountain at every campsite, you do get public toilets. However, their condition are absolutely disgusting. So in, included in the package is private portable toilets for the, for the, for the group. It's basically uh, like one of those caravan toilets with one of those small um, shower tents. The toilets inside, um, they don't allow any chemicals on the mountain. So we normally have a bucket of water next to the toilet. And yeah, then it makes it really um, a bit more, uh, yeah, makes it much, much better than going to the public toilets. And um, the other advantage as well is some of the campsites are quite big. So if you're using the public toilet, you might be a kilometer away from the public toilet. And if you need to go one o'clock in the morning, then it's a big mission getting to the toilet and back. Um, then what we normally do is we do that first hike until we reach the, the, the lunch spot. At the lunch spot, if the weather is good, they'll just set up the tables and chairs and the cook will provide a freshly made lunch. Lunch will be, normally be something like spaghetti bolognese, something light. If the weather is bad, they'll switch up the mesh tent as well and lunch will be served inside the mesh tent. And then after lunch, we continue to the next, to the next stop. Um, where we overnight. Once you reach camp, your tent will be set up, your duffel bag will be inside the tent, your sleeping mat will be inside the tent, and the mesh tent with the camp chairs and tables will be set up. There'll be a flask with hot water. They'll normally have a light snack when you arrive to the camp. And <clears throat> in the afternoon, they'll provide um, a small bowl of hot water again for basic washing. And then um, dinner will normally start with soup of the day, um, they'll provide then the dinner, which will normally be beef stew with rice. They'll make grilled uh, fried chicken with French fries and so on. The food on the mountain is normally very good. And if there's any group members with any special dietary requirements, such as um, they need vegetarian meals or whatever, we can, we can cater for that as well. And then normally after dinner, the guide will come again and take everybody's blood oxygen level readings again. And they'll discuss the day's hike and discuss what to expect the following day. And yeah, that, that's basically a day on the mountain. With regards to water on the, on the mountain, on day one, everybody will be given three liters of mineral water to refill their water bottles. Obviously, if you start training now and you see that you're drinking four liters of water a day, then we recommend that you have a water carrying capacity of four liters. However, just remember every liter is equal to one kilo. So if you've got four liters of water in your day pack, your camera, your rain gear, then your day pack could become a bit heavy. From night one onwards on the mountain, the porters will collect water from streams on the mountain. Now the water on the, from the streams have been proven to be safe to drink as is. I mean, the guides and the porters, they drink the, the water as is. However, our stomachs are not used to the bacteria on Kilimanjaro. So for that reason, we add a South African product called Pure Drop to the water complementary for the group. And um, you can then refill your water bottles every evening, every morning during meal times with the, with the water treated with Pure Drops. If you want to bring your own water purification tablets and you want to purify your own water, you're welcome to do that. Um, something that some people might request this to 
that we boil the water. Now, it's fine to boil water. However, um, the biggest problem with boiling the water is that during the hike, you're not going to be able to clean your water bottles properly. I mean, you're going to have saliva on the bottle and so on. And if you put clean water into the bottle, the, the dirt inside the bottle is just going to infect the water and, and make it unsafe to drink. While if you treat the water with pure drops or water purification tablets, any bacteria inside your water bottle is, is, is killed as well. Now, during the day, for the first days of hiking, normal water bottles is fine. Or if you have a camel pack that fits into your day pack, it's, it's very nice to use like that. However, on the summit attempt, if you're going to use a camel pack, we strongly recommend that you bring an insulation pipe, that you bring an insulation pipe to, to cover the drinking hose of your water bottle. Otherwise, the water will freeze. And also, even if you have an installation pipe on your, on your camel pack drinking hose, after you've taken a sip, we recommend that you blow water back into the camel pack so that there's no water standing in the pipe. Because of the cold temperatures, it freezes very quickly. Um, if you're going to use normal water bottles, we recommend that you bring a thermal flask with a capacity of about one liter that you can refill with water and use that during the summit attempt. That will not that will that should prevent freezing um, what i normally do is whether i use the camel pack or i use an insulated bottle when you when you wake up for the summit attempt you'll go to the mesh tent you'll have some biscuits and they'll have a flask with hot water available there what i'll do is one of my normal water bottles i'll refill with hot water and put it inside my date pack so if during the summit attempt my drinking hose from the camel pack freezes or my other bottle gets emptied or freezes by chance, then at least I have a backup and I don't need to drink water from other people. Um, another thing, oxygen. Now, obviously, with Kenya Airways on the plane, if you fly with Kenya Airways, which is currently the best airline, then um, they will allow 46 kilos luggage allowance, which is way more than, than what you will actually need. So what I normally recommend is that when you fly on the plane, you first of all, you take your most important stuff as, as hand luggage. Because unfortunately, with every airline and every airport in the world, luggage can get lost. So we recommend that you wear your hiking boots and we recommend that you put your most important stuff things that you are not willing to rent you put in as your hand luggage like your thermal underwear um, those kind of things and then you put your luggage into a suitcase and you roll your duffel bag up and you put it inside your suitcase as well the duffel bags are not very strong so if you're going to travel with your duffel bag it's very easy for them at our tambo to cut a hole in and steal steal all your stuff um, so for that reason, we strongly recommend rather use a suitcase. The other advantage of using a suitcase is once you reach the hotel, you can pack your duffel bag and then you can leave excess luggage in the hotel's luggage storage room in your suitcase for when you get off the mountain, because obviously you don't want to take all your stuff onto, 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 onto the hike. Okay. Um, now, clothing, I think if you... Obviously, day one, you can expect relatively warm temperatures. A T-shirt and short with a, with a warm fleece in your, in your day pack is going to be fine. However, we also recommend that you put your rain gear in your day pack every day because you never know. It can be sunshine when you start and two hours later, it could be raining 
uh, it could even snow. I mean, from the first night on the mountain, you will get minus temperatures. Um, but on day one's hike, if you wear a t-shirt and short, warm fleece in your, in your day pack, you're gonna be fine. Day two, um, long trousers with a hiking shirt, and again, a warm fleece in your, in your day pack is gonna be fine. Day three, when you hike from Shira Camp to Lavatar and then down to Branko Camp, that's the first day that you're really gonna be exposed to cold temperatures. I mean, on that day, you're gonna walk on the Shira Ridge, which is a bit exposed, and you can expect maximum temperature of about eight to 10 degrees. So you need to wear your fleece pants over your hiking pants. You need to wear your fleece jacket. You need to bring your balaclava. You need to bring your gloves um, because it can get quite cold on, on that particular day. The day three of the hike is also your first real tough day because on that day, you're gonna cross the 4,000 meters altitude level and suddenly you're gonna find that you get out of breath easily and um, it's gonna be cold. Probably when you're gonna stop at Lava Tower, which is at 4,600 meters, you will probably have a headache. You might feel nauseous. Um, however, after you've spent lunch at 4,600 meters at Lava Tower, you'll descend back down to Baranka Camp, which is at 3,900 meters. Now, Shira Camp, which is the night you spent at previously, is at 3,800 meters. So even if you feel bad at Lava Tower, you will feel good again at um, Baranka Camp, which is at 3,900 meters, because it's very similar altitude to your previous night. And this is also the main reason why the Mashama route is so successful, is that on day three, it allows you the opportunity to climb high and sleep low, which triggers a, a hiker's body to acclimatize faster to the, to the higher altitudes. Your day four, when you hike from Baranka to Karanga Camp, again, cold temperatures, most of the hiking is above 4,000 meters level. And then on day five, when you hike from Karanga to Barafu Camp, Again, the same thing, you're gonna hike above 4,000 meters level, cold temperatures, um, maximum eight, 10 degrees. And then on day five, that night at 10 o'clock, we normally wake everybody up for the summit attempt. And then we try to start the summit attempt at 11 o'clock. Depending on the group's hiking speed the previous days, the guide might say we start at 11.30 or we might start at 10.30. Um, but the main aim is to reach the summit by sunrise because then you have the best chance of having clear skies. I mean, you don't really want to reach the summit and you're surrounded by clouds or so. So we found that if you summit early morning by sunrise, you've got the best chance of, of having clear skies and, and good weather. Um, now the summit attempt, that's the toughest part of the hike. I've done Kilimanjaro three times already. And I literally, I question myself every time I do it. I mean, it's, I've done a lot of physical things in my life and, Summit in Kilimanjaro is by far the toughest thing I've ever done. Um, I would say about 50% is fitness. Um, out of 50% is mental determination. That's the only thing that's going to get you up there. You, you, you basically question yourself, what the hell are you doing? But you need to push through. And I always say it's probably the closest a man can get to giving childbirth because you have all the pain and suffering until you reach the summit. But once you reach the summit, it's... Uh, it's a feeling of um, self-accomplishment, euphoria. I mean, it's an awesome, awesome experience. Um, it's just indescribable. I've seen grown men cry on the summit. It's, it's really emotional and it's, it's really an awesome experience reaching the summit. And then we normally spend about 20, 15 minutes on the summit. And 
Then we descend back down to Barafu camp, which we'll reach around 11 o'clock in the morning. We'll, um, we'll then have something to eat, rest a bit, and then we'll descend another six kilometers until we reach Moeka camp. Now on the summit attempt, I'll normally wear my hiking boots with thermal socks. It's very important to have thermal socks on the, on the, on the summit attempt or else you could get um, frostbite. Then on the body, the first layer I'll use is long, um, long thermal underwear, long top and long bottom. Then over the top of that, I'll wear a long, long hiking trousers and long hiking shirt. Then over the top of that, I'll wear a fleece pants and the fleece jacket. Then over the top of that, I'll wear my um, outer pants, which is basically a rain pants with a built-in fleece. And then on the top, I'll also wear my outer jacket, which is again, one of those um, first ascent three in one jackets, for example, is fine. If you don't find outer pants, proper ski pants or outer pants, then you can add another layer of fleece and you can add a normal um, waterproof pants over the top of that, that can work as well. And then obviously you need gloves, ideally mittens. Um, for the gloves or mittens, make sure you have a thin pair of inner gloves as well. Because if you wanna get something out of your day pack, then you don't want your hands to be exposed to the cold temperatures. So if you have a liner glove inside, then that will help a lot. And then of course, for the top, you need to have a balaclava and a beanie as well and preferably make sure that your jacket has a built-in hoodie as well with um, adjustable um, straps that can make it, you know, a tight, a tight fit over your, over your face. Now, on the summit attempt, the cold wind, the cold temperatures make your nose runny. So we recommend putting some Vicks Vapor up or taking a good decongestant and spraying that inside your nose before you start the summit attempt. And then we also recommend taking some Vaseline with because the cold temperatures, um, I mean, you lick your lips and it freezes. And you know, if you have some Vaseline to cover that, that normally helps quite a lot. The days leading up to the summit attempt, the trail is quite dusty as well. Um, so it's possible to get a block nose when you reach the camp. So we recommend taking a good decongestant as well. Um, but if you look at our recommended gear and checklist, we do have on there some recommended medications that we recommend everybody bring with as well. Just check on the gear list. Everything that's on that recommended gear list, bring everything with. If you want to leave something, check with me first. I've had hikers go before and then they don't take gloves and then they come back and they're angry at me because they didn't take any gloves. So yeah, make sure you, you take everything on that list. And if, you, if you're unsure about something, just give me a call or send me an email and, and I, can, I can verify that. Now, emergency procedures on Kilimanjaro, I would say that 99% of the people who don't summit Kilimanjaro quit during the actual summit attempt. Like I say, it's a mental determination is the only thing that's gonna get you up there. And most people quit during the actual summit attempt. If you quit, during the actual summit attempt, there will be more than one guide with the group. So if we reach 5,600 meters as example, and one person is not feeling well, and they decide that's it, I've had enough now, then um, one guide will escort that person back down to Barafu camp. Your tent will still be pitched up and you'll go in your tent rest while the rest of the group reach the summit and then come back down again. Everybody meets at Barafu camp and then continue the hike together. Um, the other 1% of the people who don't make it 
um, either twist their ankle or they, you know, something else on the days leading up to the summit attempt. And if something like that happens and you can't continue the hike, then the first evacuation option we have is the Kilimanjaro rescue team. They can evacuate you from anywhere on the mountain using a stretcher. And um, that evacuation cost is included in the, in the price. And then for serious, serious emergencies, we include uh, flying doctors membership as well. So what this means is, if you have a serious condition on a mountain and you need to evacuate it quickly, then we call the flying doctors, they send a helicopter from Nairobi and they evacuate you off the mountain by, by helicopter. Now, there is some terms and conditions with regards to this. The pilot needs to have line of sight with the mountain. I mean, if there's bad weather on the mountain and it's surrounded by clouds or mist, he can't land, he can't evacuate you, he can't do evacuation at night, and he can only land at certain designated um, landing areas on Kilimanjaro. So it might still be required that you get taken by stretcher to the, to the helicopter pad. Um, that being said, I've been working here since 2008. And in those um, years that I've been here, we've only had three, two evacuations by helicopters. One guy dislocated his hip. He actually had a hip replacement five years before the trip. And he did Mount Nero, he did the whole of Kilimanjaro, and the night he stood up from his tent for the summit attempt, his hip dislocated again. So obviously a stretcher evacuation would have been very painful for him, so we called the helicopter for him. And then the other guy was last year, he had a urinal block, and obviously we had to get him off to get medical attention as quickly as possible. So yeah, we arranged the, the helicopter evacuation for him as well. The, you know, the, the biggest thing with altitude sickness is if you get it and you get it severely. Um, you know, I've had people that get very sick on the summit and then they say, we need, I need to get to a hospital. And by the time they reach uh, the exit gate at the bottom, they feel fine again and they don't even want to go to a doctor because they feel normal again. Um, and that's a nice thing about altitude sickness is doesn't matter how bad you feel, the moment you get back to normal altitude levels again, 90% of the people will feel fine and don't even require um, medical attention. Um, then with regards to visas, South Africans don't require a visa for Tanzania. And when we fly with Kenya Airways and we fly via Kenya and Nairobi, you will only get off the plane, go into the international transit hall, spend an hour there and then get onto the plane for Kilimanjaro. So you don't do any luggage collection, you don't do any visas in Kenya when you stop over in Nairobi um, because you book your flight with Kenya Airways from Joburg to Kilimanjaro. So you book your luggage straight through to Kilimanjaro. The other nice thing about Kenya Airways is as well is, let's say the flight from Joburg to Nairobi is delayed and you miss your connecting flight from Nairobi to Kilimanjaro then Kenya Airways will make sure they get you on the next available flight. And if the delay is normally longer than six hours, they will make sure that they cover all your meals, hotel expenses, and you know, they, they will cover that. And if your luggage, let's say you arrived at Kilimanjaro Airport and your luggage is not there, um, Kenya Airways got a few flights daily. So 
what we normally recommend is that you take the early morning flight that arrives 8.35 to Kilimanjaro Airport. So if you arrive 8.35 and your luggage is not there, they've got another flight departing Joburg at 12.15, arriving to Kilimanjaro 7.30 at night. They've got another flight departing Joburg 6 o'clock in the evening, arriving to Kilimanjaro 3 o'clock in the morning. So if for some reason your luggage is not there, then there's always a 99% guarantee that your luggage is going to be there by the time you start your hike. Um, it has happened in the past that some people arrive and their luggage is not there. In that case, you rent most of the stuff that you, that you will require. And then if your luggage arrives two days later, we send it up with a, with a porter and you get it on day two or day three of the hike. Not ideal, but yeah, if, if you don't have a choice, then yeah, that, that's the only option. And, um, you know, obviously, like I said, we treat the water with pure drops. Um, everything on the mountain is prepared by the cook. They do try to keep everything clean and, and they make sure they boil vegetables and so on properly. Um, but still, it's like going to any other country. Um, I mean, I can literally go to Spain and I can get a runny stomach. It is possible to, to happen in Tanzania as well. So make sure you bring emodiums with. And, then something else that I see on the list is, is hiking poles. Now, obviously hiking poles, I normally don't use it while I ascend up the mountain. However, I start using them on the summit attempt. Like I say, that summit attempt is very tough. Um, you take five breaths and you take five steps and you're out of breath. Um, the advantage of hiking poles is then that once you're out of breath, you can sort of lean onto your, onto your hiking poles, rest, and then continue again. Um, that summit attempt from Baralfa camp to Stella Point, which is on the crater rim, is about 3.3 kilometers. And that 3.3 kilometers on average takes you about six hours to complete. And you gain 1.1 kilometers in altitude. So that is the toughest part of the hike. Once you reach Stella Point, you're on the crater rim. It's another 1.2 kilometers to the summit. And the altitude gain is only about 200 meters. Um, so it's not that steep. But obviously the high altitudes, the low oxygen levels makes it tough and you still get out of breath easily. So, so what we recommend is take it slowly and use the hiking poles because if you sit down, you're going to battle to get back up again. Then where the hiking poles is also an advantage is when we go off the mountain, it's like once you reach the summit, it's like going down a giant staircase and getting knee problems and so on is very common and easy. So yeah, the hiking poles, using that when you go down is very good because it just helps absorb the pressure off your knees. And yeah, because obviously if you don't have hiking problems and you start getting knee problems, then it, yeah, you need hiking poles for that. And yeah, that, that's, that's, that's basically all the, all the questions. The other thing that I see is the cancellation policy. Now, Obviously, we need to pay deposits to the hotel to secure space. We need to pay deposits for the client permits and so on. So if a person cancels now up until 42 days before the trip, the cancellation fee is 20% of the total uh, tour price. If you cancel 42 to 28 days before the trip, the cancellation fee is 30 days. If you cancel 28 days to 14 days before the trip, the cancellation fee is 50%. And if you cancel with less than 14 days notice, the cancellation fee is 100%. For that reason, we also recommend um, taking out travel insurance as soon as possible, because I know, for example, with Bright travel insurance that we can, we can all
Nikki, sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, you just disappeared again. You were talking about taking out travel insurance. And yes. Take it out okay. in something, yeah. Yeah, all right. So if you take out, uh, we, we recommend that you take out travel insurance as soon as possible. Because I know, for example, with bright travel insurance, um, if you were to get sick or let's say you get into a car accident and you break your leg and you're unable to continue with the trip, then they will cover the cancellation fees. They also have, uh, you know, if a close family member passes away and you can't join the trip anymore, then they will cover that as well. Um, so I recommend everybody to take out travel insurance as soon as possible because that will obviously help cover the cancellation fees or cover part of the cancellation fees. Um, we also have another uh, grant that we give our clients and if you need to cancel because of work or medical or personal reasons, we give you the option to postpone your hike by up to 10 months and to rebook it, in which case any money is paid can be applied to the to the new hike. Obviously, if you let us know one day before the trip, there's not a lot of not a lot we can do because all the monies we would have bought food already and we would have paid the park fees in total already. But if you were to do that one or two weeks before the trip, then we could possibly, you know, obviously the hotel might still charge cancellation fees, but the rest of the monies we could still possibly move to a, to a future date and a future a future hike. And yeah, that's 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 basically for the moment. I think I've covered everything on the list. So if there's any any questions, please please feel free to ask me. Uh, thank you very much, Nikki. I think um, anyone out there that wants to ask, um, I've recorded this. Um, if the recording doesn't come out uh, perfectly for the rest to listen to, I'm gonna ask Nikki if there's a maybe later this afternoon if it's possible to do it again. But uh, let me first see if the recording has been done. Um, so guys, if you want to ask questions, um, please unmute yourself. And if it has been discussed, um, Nikki, you can just go over it again. I see some yes, sure. who uh, joined a little bit late. But otherwise, I will send the recording later. So who's, who wants to ask the first question? Um, me, Kobas, please. Okay. Hello. Nikki? Yes. yes. Um, yes, thank you. Thank you very much for the information. Um, I'd just like to ask about the breathing. Um, well, personally, I, I have some slight challenges breathing. So what would you recommend in terms of, especially towards summit and the higher altitudes? Um, your breathing, is it medically related? Well, they say I have asthma, but I've, <laughs> I've always coped without an asthma pump. But sometimes when I go to higher altitudes here in the Soto, I do get that shortness of breath. Okay. Uh, first of all, what I would recommend is, is just go to your doctor and discuss with him that you're planning to, to hike up Kilimanjaro and get medical clearance from your doctor as well. This is quite important for the travel insurance as well. Because if you don't go to a doctor, you don't get clearance and you have an emergency on the mountain, the travel insurance might refuse to pay out because they say it's a pre-existing condition. So I recommend that you get clearance from your doctor and then obviously, um, yeah, just take it slowly. Um, when you go up the mountain, take it as slowly as possible. And if you do get an emergency that, um, if you do get an emergency that you can't breathe, 
oxygen will be administered to you and we'll try and evacuate you off the mountain. But the problem is once we administer oxygen, it's not possible to continue on the hike because any acclimatization up until that point will be brought back to zero again. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. I would like to avoid that as much as possible. Thank you. Okay. Anyone Nikki, else? Tanya here. Yes, 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 yes. Tanya, how are you, Nikki? Fine, and you. Um, good, thank you. What about uh, when you are on chronic medication? You can just take your chronic medication on the mountain, none of the other meds will influence it or anything. I think somewhere in the notes I read that you should not, or some of it can't be taken up when you're on the mountain. Um, look, I would say rather depends obviously what medication you're taking, but um, the biggest risk I would say is taking your medication together with Diamox. So again, I would rather recommend to discuss that with your doctor to make sure that whatever medication you are taking can be taken together with the Diamox. And if your doctor recommends taking it during the hike or rather stopping it for the duration of the hike. But obviously, you know, if you're taking cholesterol or high blood pressure or something like that, um, I don't see a reason why you should not continue taking that on the mountain unless it can't be taken together with Diamox, in which case you would need to stop with that for the, for the duration of the trip. Okay, so Diamox is the one medication that's going to determine everything up there, it seems like it. Well, you know, I've done it three times and I've never taken Diamox. Um, I always take it with me because I, yeah. I'm, I'm the type of person who don't like to take medication for any reason. So I always take it with me and I always say, if I start getting altitude sickness on day one, two, or possibly day three, I'll take it. But if I'm fine for that first three days, then I'm not going to take it. Obviously, I've done the Mashama route myself and I do get headaches when I reach Lava Tower and I've had, I have vomited myself at Lava Tower because when that's the first time you're exposed to the 4,600 meters level, but then you descend back down to Branco camp and, and it goes on without any problems. And then possibly once you reach Badafa camp before the summit attempt again, you might have again a headache or so, but yeah, every person differs and altitude sickness affects every person differently. So yeah, I always take the diamond with me and I say, if I get it on day one or two, I'm going to take it. But if not, then, then I'm not going to take the Diamox. Um, but the thing with Diamox is, if you reach the Rafa camp, the final camp before doing the summit attempt, and you then start getting altitude sickness, then it's too late to take Diamox because it's something that you take preventatively as you, as you hike up the mountain. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, Nikki, just so one thing. Uh, what is the ma uh, maximum that the porter can carry? Is it 15 or 23? No, it's 15 kilograms. Okay. And but if, if you if sorry if the group has extra luggage, then you can pack another duffel bag with 15 kilos, and we can arrange another porter. The cost for an additional porter is 130 dollars for the entire hike, and that porter will be able to carry another hundred uh, another 15 kilos for the entire trip. For those of you that prepare and you're unsure about your personal abilities, I mean, if you hike with an eight kilo date pack on your on your back. It, is, it does make it more strenuous. So as part of the package, we will actually include a porter for every person during the summit attempt to carry your date back. It's optional. If you say, I want to do it myself, then you do it yourself. But if during the summit attempt, you want to give your date back to a porter, they will carry it. That will be as part of the trip we, we provide. But for those persons that's small, that's not very big, 
or not very strong, or you're unsure about your fitness level, you can even let us know the day before the trip, then it is possible to rent a porter to carry your day pack for the entire hike. Then that porter hikes next to you, he carries your day pack. If you need water, um, he will then, you know, you, if you need your hiking poles or whatever, then, then he will give it to you. Okay, that's great to know because uh, my cousin also um, climbed Kilimanjaro and he said by having that extra porter, it becomes like your mountain coach. He reminds you to drink yes. water, he reminds you to change your shocks and all of that. So, in a sense, I'm going to take that option because I, I don't want to carry my back because of my, um, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I have a few challenges because of my hemophilia. So, for those who want to, please let me know. Um, anyone else that have a question? Let's just talk about the socks, can we? Because it seems like it's a very yes. important thing. More than once a day, you have to change your socks. No, no. Look, for the socks, what I normally do is myself, I wear, I go, I wear proper hiking, hiking, shock, hiking socks, and I make sure I have a fresh pair for every day. And then okay. during the summit attempt, I make sure that I use thermal socks. Now, if you find that that you've got a lot of movement inside your boot and you're getting blisters, then I would recommend wearing two pairs of socks or wearing like a liner sock because then the two socks will move and it's not going to be your foot moving and that will definitely help prevent, prevent blisters as well. So definitely make sure you have a fresh pair of socks for every day, um, for day one to five, and then for the summit attempt, make sure you wear thermal socks and then for the descent. Um, your foot tends to move a lot more in the boot because you're going downhill. So I always wear two pairs of socks on the downhill section because getting blisters okay. there is it's very easy and common. Okay, cool. Another question, Nikki, uh, that someone just sent me, um, hygiene. Is hygiene a challenge um, you know, on the mountain because you don't stay clean that well, you know, like scaving in between the legs? Um, no, not, not really, because, I mean, you do get your small bowl of hot water every morning, every evening, and believe me, with weight wipes, you can... It... Can you still hear me? Uh, you were just away, you said with weight wipes, you can? Wipes. Yeah. yeah, with weight wipes, you can, you can really clean yourself properly, I mean. And then, yeah, obviously... Um, you know, if you some some people wear the wear like ski pants under their hiking pants, and that prevents shaving between the legs as well. Okay. Well, I've got a question. Then is if your socks get wet during the day, will they dry overnight in the tent, or is it too moist to do that? No, it's anything that gets wet on the mountain is probably not going to get dry again. Dry again. So you need to make. You, you need to make sure that you have a fresh pair of socks for every day. Obviously, if your socks get wet during lunchtime, um, then, then you're going to continue the hike and finish with the socks. But, yeah, um, but, uh, but you know, I, I, normally, I normally recommend using gaiters as well from the first day. Gaiters covers your ankles and prevents water and mud and rocks from entering your boot. And your boot needs to be waterproof as well. So to, if you wear gaiters together with waterproof boots, the chances of water getting into your boot is highly unlikely. Okay. Good. Okay, is that everyone? Any last questions? Yes, I've got some questions, but 
I'm trying to navigate Cape Town traffic at the same time. Um, okay, so my first question was, um, oh, uh, oh, your question is, um, I think Chris uh, Kubis mentioned that your your phone could work at the top or things like that, but like Tickler, like iPods and things like that, they would work that if you had music or things like that. As long as you can get them charged, yeah. they'll work up there. Yes, yes. Look, there's no electricity on the mountain, so we normally yes. recommend that you bring a, a battery battery pack. Um, but yeah, there, there is there is mobile reception on the mountain as well. But what I normally do is when I hike from one camp to the next, I put my phone in flight mode so it doesn't look for signal all the time. And then yes. once I reach the camp, the guide can advise you if you go and stand there or you stand there, then you will be able to get signal and you'll be able to make a phone call or send a photo via WhatsApp or whatever the case may be. Okay, that's cool. Then the other was the, um, oh, my, my question was, if you look at the, the recommended packing list, I'm someone who freaks out about being unprepared. So I'd rather put an extra pair of pants and extra ski pants and stuff like that. Is yes. that list, does that, that, that list generally get you 15K? So it's more like a 12K list that if I put extra pants and I'm not going to be over. I'm more concerned about being over, but I won't be unprepared. Look, um, what I would maybe recommend is, obviously some members in the group are going to be over, um, that those of you who think you're going to be over is put in together and you, you get one extra porter to add another 15 kilos. So let's say there's three of you and each of you are over by five kilos, then put that stuff together in one duffel bag and then another porter can, can carry that. But generally speaking, if, if we pack just what's on your list, so let's say we just stick with your list, would that get us to... 15 closest damage or there's actually a bit of play there generally or or what no look that list is normally what you'll if, if you put everything in the what what is on our list then then you'll be fine for the hike but then obviously as you say put in a pair of extra socks put in a pair of extra underwear you know it's not gonna hurt anybody to do that okay all right but that list will be about 15 so a little bit of spilling but not too much yeah, just remember your sleeping bag counts toward the 15 kilos as well, but your sleeping yes. mat and your tent and the food, that doesn't count towards that. How much does a sleeping bag weigh approximately? Depends on the the sleeping bag right? on average is about two, three kilos. Two, three kilos, okay. Good. I wrote something down. I don't know what it is. When I figured out, I will let you know. Uh, no problem. Oh, my question was, because I'm in Cape Town, I almost... Um, I'm concerned that everybody who lives in Johannesburg and stuff that really are used to a bit higher altitude than what I am because I'm at sea level. Is there anything I can do to prepare more for sea level or for the, because I'm, I'm concerned it might be even a bigger adjustment because I'm at sea level and they've already got a, I don't sure what Job is at, but it must be more than one and a half or almost something, 2,000 kilometers above sea level or something, meters. Yeah, the, the only thing you can really do is, is maybe to, fly out to Joburg a day before and maybe spend the night in Joburg and then fly to Tanzania because Arusha is at similar altitude to Joburg. But you okay. have to remember the hike, the hike starts at 1,800 meters. So it's already higher than Joburg or Arusha town. Um, okay. But yeah, it, it, it does make a difference coming from zero altitude or coming from 1,400 meters altitude. It, it, okay. it will make a difference. So I would maybe recommend flying out the day before, spending one day in Joburg, one night in Joburg, and then, then join the flight. 
Okay. And there's nothing I could do in the preparation leading up to it. I mean, someone spoke about, I don't know, like altitude mask or something. I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but I don't know. Someone Look, the, the, altitude, the, the, the altitude mask just basically limits the, limits the air you, you intake. Um, but they do have something that they call altitude chambers um, that actually decreases the, 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 the pressure inside the, but those stuff are very very expensive and it's yeah, yeah maybe that. if you were planning to do Everest I would say yes but for, for Kilimanjaro that's that's not something I would invest in okay good. and then just in terms of snacks we take over with us do we take them from here or do we buy them there no better 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 buy snacks and sports drinks and so on buy them from here and then take them with um, because there you can buy some chocolates and biscuits, but it's very limited and yeah, you can't really. On, on average, I would say the food on the mountain is very good. So I would say uh, plan for about two to three energy bars. I would say plan for three energy bars a day, then you'll have plenty. And then some people bring biscuits and some people bring rust with, to have with their coffee in the morning. And some people bring boltong and yeah, so whatever you like, you can... You can basically bring, they're not very strict at um, Kilimanjaro Airport. I just normally yeah. make sure if I bring some Biltong, I vacuum pack it and I put it in my clothes in my main suitcase. And yeah, yeah I've never had any problems. Okay, all right. Uh, okay, I think that's all I thought of, I think, at the moment. Um, I think I've, I've got more questions around, or uh, different questions around the... Um, the costing, but I mean, that I can just speak to Kubus about on, on the side. Like, he did see me that presentation, so I'll just look at that again. Um, and go from there. But I think, Nikki, I think I'm, I'm good. Otherwise, thank you very right. much. But for anybody that's got any questions, just get my number from Quibus or my email address. Give me a call. Give me an email. We'll respond quickly and we'll send you all the information. Um, and we'll CC Quibus in as well so you can, can share, share it with the rest of the group. Yeah, that's great. Is it fine if I can add you to the WhatsApp group? So yes, yeah, perfect. Yeah, sure, no problem. If you get tired of us, just mute us. Did you hear Nikki? She says if you get tired of all the messages, you just mute the group, eh? <laughs> that gets rough on the group. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> okay, so any last questions or can we close today? I think that's good. No, I'm fine. I'm done. Okay. Yeah, I'm fine. So, I'm going to quickly look at the, the recording as well so that I can then share it to the group. And then thank you for everyone that made time for this morning. Thank you for Nikki um, that had to learn how to install Zoom and how to operate. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for doing the effort, Nikki. I do appreciate it. No, it's only a pleasure. I think this makes me more exciting um, because now I'm a little bit more clear. I think we just didn't, did this at the right time. You know, it's 100 days till the climb. So there is still more than three months left. But it, like you said, if we don't start now, it's going to be a challenge going forward. So I think we are the right but, to start now. Just one thing importantly, if you haven't sent your passport copies to Kurvis, please do send it to Kurvis so that we can at least just make tentative flight bookings. Like I said, so that we can try and get the cheapest possible seats and possibly get the whole group on the same flight rather than two people having to fly in the morning and two in the evening. And, you know, it's going to be much nicer for everybody to fly together than to fly separately. Okay. Hi, Nikki. I just have one question. Yes. 
it's uh, Andrea. Um, I'm an Austrian citizen, so I must I must get a visa. Yes, but Austrian passport holders, they can get the visa up on arrival. Just make sure your passport is valid for six months. Make sure you have yeah. at least three, three blank pages in your passport and make sure you have the $50 in cash US dollars with you. And okay. yeah, then that's not a problem. It normally takes about 10 minutes longer to get the visa, but it's not a big hassle. And just another thing, all, all this extra um, stuff that we need to buy, is it very pricey? Look, um, like I say, you can buy a pair of high-tech boots for 1500 or you can go and buy a pair of metal boots for 3500 So there's a lot of options available. I would say print the list, go to an outdoor warehouse, go to a Cape Union Mart, see what they have available. If there's an outdoor show, um, go to the outdoor show because most of those guys like Trappers and Cape Union Mart, they always exhibit at these shows and they always have some nice special running. And yeah, also join the Cape Union Mart mailing list and all these outdoor shops mailing list because they have specials on a monthly basis and that can really save a few rands to, to buy stuff on special rather than buying full price. Okay, thank you. Yeah, just to, just to tell you, Andrea, just to let you know, like if you buy a sleeping bag, that's about 3,000 rand, but you can rent it from them for 275, 275 bucks. So you can look at the gear list they have and decide what you want to rent and what you want to buy. And I get yeah, the I'm, gear list from you, Kubis? I will send it again for you guys, yes. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and all the stuffs that we rent are in good condition and we make sure it's clean properly. Um, so, yeah. Okay. One last question, Nikki. Um, these are requirements for Lesotho citizens. Please. The requirements for Lesotho citizens. Yes. I will need to double check that. I will double check that with the Tanzanian High Commission in Pretoria today and I'll get back to you. But I think Lesotho citizens is probably not gonna not need a visa for, for Tanzania. Are we still around 10 people at the moment or have more confirmed yet? Um, no, it's about still around 10. Um, I think with the, the deadlines now, I'm going to ask everyone to say, just to confirm that they are um, committing. I think, like um, Nikki said, the most important, I think also apart from paying about the whole amount, about more or less eight weeks before, is I think if we book our airline tickets now, so I think that is also important. We can get it uh, cheap if the first 20 people yeah. is the cheap rate. So I'm going to ask Nikki to more or less get us some quotes and then Jeez. for those who are interested so that we can start booking that and then our trip is booked basically. Um, yeah. I think the other second thing that is important is your travel insurance to just cover everything up till when before you depart as well. And then the last part is, is to make sure that the final payment is in just before, you know, more or less six to eight, let's say eight weeks before the climb. So I think that is the most important. Um, okay. Okay. Anyone else? Nikki, I, have well, I think the medical insurance you can get at any outdoor warehouse as well, if I'm correct. No, no, no. Medical and travel, travel insurance. insurance. Medical and travel insurance um, 
high, uh, we can arrange it for the group via Bright. They've got very reasonable prices and they do cover cancellation fees. Um, you know, if you get into a car accident before the trip, and if your luggage is delayed or you get luggage missing, they'll cover part of that. And if you are on the mountain, you need to get evacuated. Um, you need medical treatment, they'll cover that. Obviously, if you fall and you break a leg, you're not going to be able to fly back in a normal plane. So they will cover special, um, you know, to bring you back in a special plane if, if need be. Yeah, we've, we found with all the current insurance in South Africa, Bright is the most reasonably priced and they, and they have the good, good cover. Um, Nikki, would you be able to send me a quote on that? Because I'll probably in the next week try to speak to Discovery and just see what they do or don't do. But I think they've got so much fine print and exclusions, it's no one's business. But I'd like to get yours as just a comparison. Um, what do you need from me to get a quote? Do you need to know any medical just things? Send, just send me your email address and then I'll email it to you or I'll email it to Quibus and he can share it with the rest of the group Lovely. as well. Lovely. Sounds great. Okay. Thank you. Okay, and the, and the travel insurance we can get at any outdoor warehouse, no? No, no, no. Travel insurance is not something you're going to get. It's, it's arranged by travel insurance companies, for example, TIC or Bright um, and so on. Okay, can Kubus assist us with that? Yeah, I will Yes, I'm going to forward. Yeah, Nick is going to forward okay. that and I will send it to the whole group. I think he did send me uh, the last time you sent me the PDF for Bright. Um, yes, you can just forward that email to everybody. Yeah, yeah. so I'm just going to forward that one quickly to everyone. Okay, thank you. Okay, okay. I think that is then awesome. I think uh, if there's yeah. any other questions, I've just added Nikki to the WhatsApp group, you know, so we can start communicating there. Um, if there's anything else, let me know. I'm going to in the next hour prepare to send you the, all the emails for the documents again. Um, and then if there's still any questions, we can always arrange with me. Okay, thank you guys. All right, pleasure. Thank Enjoy the long weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, I've got one more question. Nikki, you still there? Yes. Nikki, you said something the other day when I spoke to you about the two, four, six something per week and then blah, blah, blah. Was it two Ks the first week and then three Ks the second week every day? And then four and yeah. five until you get to, I, I didn't write it down properly. Yeah, so that, obviously you, it, depends you on your, it, it, it depends on your current fitness level. If you're able to do three kilometers every day, for example, now Monday to Thursday, and then a yeah. five over the weekend, and you can build yourself up to a level where you can do 12 kilometers every day and a 15 over the weekend, then, you, then you're ready for Kilimanjaro. Okay, all right, good, good. All right. Okay, so start from like two or three and then just run up and up and over eight weeks that you get to 12, 12 Monday yes. to Friday and then 12 to 15 on the well, Saturday and the Sunday. 12, 12, 12 Monday to Thursday, take a break Friday, Saturday go and do a 15 kilometers and then, then just you're ready. So what? This is the end of the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, see you at the next one. Remember, it's kubiswisa.com or it's called Zero to Zero.